All right, I will say good morning. Let us let us begin. A really beautiful daf ahead of us today. We begin by thanking our sponsor, Atama Torah sponsors, for the month of Adar Aleph. For the month of Adar Aleph, Paul and Kathy Pollock, for dedicating all the Shum and Joshua's this month in memory of Paul's grandparents, Zechariah ben Zechariah and Dina Basrab Dov. To thank Art and Shari Miller for dedicating all the Shum and Joshua's this month in loving memory of Art's brother, Richard Miller, Ruvain Ben Betzalel Barachol, and to thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for the Rafua Shalema of Shulamis Bas Susha. And we thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Nathan and Beth Adler, in memory of their uncle, Dr. Simeon Gutterman, Shimon Aryeh Ben Ravel Chonan Tzvi. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Nisham Muslav and Aliyah, the families, Ein Nechama, and all of those who need a Rafua will have one together. With Kol Chole Yisrael, so we also dedicate our learning in the Zuchos of Achinu Yisrael, who are in the various communities in the Ukraine, who obviously again face imminent danger, relocation, all different types of chevle gulos. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, Kadosh Baruch will watch over them, and in Merit Hashem allow Shalom to permeate every corner of the world. Bekarov. Well, see, with that, let us begin. So we are on up to Daf Tes Zayin, page 16. We are picking up on Tes Bav Ahmed Bez. You have a lot to do today. We're picking up 11 lines down into the intermediate wide lines on 16B. On te, I'm sorry, 15B, sorry. Tes Bav Ahmed Bez, 15B. So we'll see, so remember, again, we're in the middle of the dramatic story of Elisha ben Avuya, of Acher. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Meir, Hechi Gamar Torah Mipumei. How was our, how the, the Acher? How was Rabbi Meir able to learn Torah from Acher? Remember, I was saying one of the. Let's make sure that they could hear me. Oh, Bosa and Zoom, do you hear me? All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Bosa, so, sorry. Okay. So the Gemara asks, how was Rabbi Meir able to go ahead and learn Torah from? All right, one of these days I'm going to get someone to do all this stuff. All right, since the, uh, so the Gemara says as follows, Rabbi Meir, how was Rabbi Meir able to go ahead and learn Torah from Elisha ben Avuyah, from Acher? After all, the Gemara says, after all, the Gemara says, uh, the Torah says literally again, which if the, mouth, the lips of the coin will guard wisdom, and Torah will be sought from his mouth. For he is a Malach Hashem. From that, if the Rav, if the teacher is like a Malach, Yivakshu Torah Mipihu. Seek out Torah from his mouth. But if the teacher, if the Rav is not like a Malach, Al Yivakshu Torah Mipihu. Which I will say is another way of Chazal saying that in order for Torah to be impactful and meaningful, it must come from a source of purity. If it doesn't come from a source of purity, then at the end of the day, how are you allowed to learn from such a person? So the Shaila, of course, is Rabbi Meir. How are you able to learn from Elisha ben Abuya? To which the Gemara says, Reish Lakish, Rabbi Meir, Kra Ashkach B'darash. Both say, this is fascinating. I both say, I understand, to be honest, it is not just a Shaila and Rabbi Meir learning Torah from Elisha ben Abuya. This is pretty much... You know, learning from anyone who's not the, who's not a gadol hadar. How are you able to go ahead and learn from someone who you know is imperfect, who you know is flawed? Because we're all imperfect, we're all flawed. So how can you learn Torah from such a source like this? So listen to this. Amar Reish Lakish, Rabbi Meir, Kra Ashkach B'Darash. Rabbi Meir found the pasuk in the Darshan, Hat Oznicha Ushima Divrei Chachamim VeLibcha Toshes Ledaiti. So this is actually a very beautiful pasuk. Putting over the Pasik from Mishlei. Literally again, bend your ear, listen to the words of sages, but direct your heart. But direct your heart to my wisdom or to my understanding. It doesn't say direct your heart towards their wisdom. Rather to my wisdom. In other words, the Bible said this is incredible. That what the Pasik is essentially saying is that sometimes there's knowledge you have to take from people but ultimately, again, go ahead and direct your heart towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, sometimes there is wisdom to be gleaned 
from less from imperfect sources. Take the wisdom, but leave behind the rest. Take the wisdom, but ultimately align yourself with Akkadish Baruch. So literally again, hear, hear my daughter and see, right? Bend your ear, but forget your people, forget your father's home. It was the same motif. And by the way, this is an incredibly profound idea that at times in life, at times in life, there is knowledge to be learned and there is knowledge to be gleaned from sources which are not good. I have to take the knowledge, but I have to leave behind everything else. Let's say, what, 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 I'll just say, for example, Chazal say, There is wisdom in the nations. There is wisdom from the nations. There is wisdom to be learned from the world. There is knowledge to be gleaned from the world. But the truth is, you have to learn how to glean the knowledge while at the same time leaving behind all of What's the word? Garbage. You have to go ahead and take the knowledge, but leave behind everything else. So sometimes, again, it's even true with Torah. Sometimes it's true with Torah that sometimes, again, I have to take the knowledge, but not the hashkafas. Right? I have to take the knowledge, but not the most. I have to take the knowledge, but... So the knowledge is good, but ultimately, maybe, maybe there are qualities of the teacher, aspects of the teacher... That, that I'm not supposed to take with me. So Rabbi Meir was able to learn Torah from Elisha ben Avuya because essentially the Pesukim indicate you can listen to the knowledge, absorb the knowledge, but leave behind much of the other stuff. To which the Gemara says, I, Dodi. Now say, here's the problem now. Now we have contradictory Pesukim, right? Because now you have one Pasuk saying that if the, right, if the Rebbe is like a Malach, then you should learn Torah from his mouth. And then the other Pasuk says, other Pasukim seem to indicate, that you could take knowledge, you could take knowledge, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, leave behind a lot of the other stuff. So what's going on? To which someone's Lokasha, Habigadol, Habikatan. We'll say this is fascinating. One is talking about a Gadol, right? An adult. And one is talking about a Katan, a child, a child. So the Gemara says, we'll say, so what, what does this mean? So a Gadol, a Gadol is old enough and sophisticated enough, right? Part of adulthood is knowing how to do borer, right? Take the ochel, leave the psolas. Take the good, leave behind the negative. Leave behind the negative. But sometimes again, but with a katan, with a child, one has to be especially careful, right? And therefore, again, the Rebbe has to be someone who can not only convey knowledge, but also has to be able to convey the other almost intangibles in life. We'll say, you hear this distinction? So a katan, right, a child, needs to be able to receive Torah from a source that is absolutely unequivocally pure. A gadol has the ability to discern. I could take the good, right, I could take the ochel, leave behind the psolas. I could take that which is good and I could set aside that which is negative. So Rabbi Meir could learn from Elisha ben Avuya because I could take the Torah, the, the, the knowledge is the knowledge, while being able to go ahead and disassociate and leave behind the rest of the package of Elisha ben Avuya. What did Rabbi Meir do? He ate the date and threw away the pit. That was the mashal. I'll say it's all the same idea. You could write a date also. It has the fruit. It has the fruit and it has the pit. Rabbi Meir ate the fruit, which was the Torah knowledge, and he threw away the pit. Darash Rava. Rava says as follows. He says, um, good. He says, well, we'll, we'll finish up this narrative. Darash Rava. What does it mean when it says that literally I went down to the garden? Egos is a nut. I went down to the garden of nuts. Right, to see the green plants that grow by the stream. What does that mean? We'll say it's interesting. Compared to nuts, okay, right? Why compared to nuts? He says, "This is so beautiful." We'll say just like a nut, when a nut falls on the ground and gets covered with all kinds of schmutz, the schmutz is only on the outside, but the nut on the inside remains unaffected, right? Unimpacted, remains clean and pure. Even 
even if a Tamit Chacham does the wrong thing, right? Even if a Tamit Chacham, so to speak, really goes off the derech, understand the Torah inside of him remains pure. And I will say, of course, this is kind of the Elisha ben Abuya story, and this is Rabbi Meir, right? Rabbi Meir goes ahead and learns Torah because the Torah is pure. Elisha ben Abuya, we see this struggle inside of him. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to come back. The Bas calls telling him he's not welcome back because the Torah inside the nut, the shell, is all sullied. Shell is all sullied. But at the end of the day, the pre, the nut, ultimately, again, is still intact and pure. And I both say, by the way, it's not just a metaphor for a Tam It's a metaphor for each of us as well, who are hopefully working towards becoming Tamidi Chachamim, which is that we all make mistakes. And understand that the beautiful part about being a Jew is that the mistakes, they impact my shell. They impact my shell. The shell could become really dirty and sullied. But Lamaisa, the nut, right? The nut, the Torah that I have, the Ruchonius that I've amassed, that remains intact and that remains beautiful, pure, and pristine, no matter how much I mess up my shell. So the Gemara goes right there. So the Gemara says, So Rabbi Barashila ran into Elio. It happens. Listen to this. So Rabbi says, so, so Rabbi asks, Elio, tell me, what is that Kaddish Baruch doing? What is Kaddish Baruch doing? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying over halachic rulings or teachings, listen to this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying over teachings in the names of all the different Tamadi Chachamim, but ultimately, again, he does not say over anything in the name of Rabbi Meir. So Rabbi says, why not? Because Rabbi Meir learned Torah from Acher, and because Rabbi Meir learned Torah from Acher, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't feel right. It's right, it's not right. His Torah came from Acher. And therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to quote Rabbi Meir. If Rabbi Meir learned Torah from an impure source, Amalid Rabbi says, Amai, Rabbi Meir, Rimon Matzah, Tocho Achal, Klipaso Zarak. Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu get upset at Rabbi Meir? After all, at the end of the day, Rabbi Meir found a pomegranate. And what did he do? He ate the inside and he threw away the shell. Right, he threw away the peel. So Amarle Hashta Amar Asa. Now apparently Rabba's argument swayed Akadish Baruchu, and the Ribon Shalom began to quote Rabbi Meir. Hashta Amar Meir Bini Omer. Meir, my son says, Bizman Sha'adam Nitzta'er. When a person is upset, right? When a person is in pain, Shechina Maloshno Meres. So what does the Shechina say? So what said is actually interesting. The Lashon over here, the Lashon over here of Mitzta'er, of Mitzta'er, ultimately is a, a, really a result of sin. So when a person sins and makes mistakes, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? So, Kalani Maroshi, Kalani Mizroi. Ultimately, again, we'll say, actually, before you get this, when a person is in pain, when a person is in pain, so what does the Shechina say, right? What does the Shechina say? Kalani Maroshi, Kalani Mizroi. So we'll say, literally, again, my head hurts, my armors, which literally means my head has become light, my limbs have become light. If this is how Kaddish Baruch Hu has tsar, right, about Rishoyim, then Allah has kama v'kama, how much Kaddish Baruch Hu has tsar about the tzaddikim. So I will say, so this officially brings to a close the Elisha ben Avuya narrative. And I will say, a really, as I mentioned before, there are other sources for this story that go into a bit more depth, but I just want to kind of end off with, with, two, with two short pieces about this because it's a really dramatic story. The big problem with the Elisha ben Avuya story is what? Is Elisha ben Avuya, you could see that there is this piece of him that wants to return. Right, remember again, every single time Rabbi Meir tells him, Chazor Becha, come back, what does Elisha ben Avuya respond? He says, I would, but the Baskal says, Shuvu banim shovavim, chutz me'acher. Right, remember there's a Baskal that says, return, but not acher, not acher. So, so how can Elisha ben Avuya be held accountable if at the end of the day he's literally hearing a voice on high that's telling him, sorry, the door's closed to you. So it's how Shirti 2 approaches. The Marsha says, the Marsha says, you know what Elisha ben Avuya should have done? He should have ignored the voice. He should have ignored the voice. He should have ignored the Baskal. Right? It's very nice. It's very nice that the Shechina is telling you, Chutz Me'acher. You know what? Don't worry about Baskals. Do what you have to do. Do what you have to do. And a Jew, when he commits an Adira, has to do Tshuva. 
has to do tshuva. Aya Baskal says, you not accept your wife, say, both say, sometimes in life, you just have to do what you have to do. And don't worry about what is going on around you. Elisha ben Abuya, you sinned. You made mistakes. There's only one thing to do, and that's tshuva. And you keep on doing that until your tshuva is accepted. Ayak Baruch who says the door shut, keep pounding on the door until it's open. Don't give up. Don't be dissuaded. You see, Elisha ben Abuya thought that when Achash Baruch Hu says, you're out, you're out, that is it, that's the end of the road. You're out, is what Achash Baruch Hu is saying now. The Shlach Kaddish says, he quotes this Gemara, and he, he applies, he applies he, the concept that says, There's a Gemara that says, when you're a guest at someone's house, anything the Balabayas tells you. He tells you to bench, he tells you to take food first, he tells you to have another glass of wine. Anything he says you have to do, except if he tells you to get out. Interesting Gemara, right? If your host tells you, well, time to leave, you can say, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet, right? We've all had company like that, right? So, so, so at the end of the day, right? At the end of the day, anything that Balabayas tells you to do is accept, get out. And the Shlo says, Elisha ben Avuyah should have learned that Gemara. He knew Kalatara Kula. He should have realized, even if the Balabayas tells you, Kalash Baruch tells you to get out, you don't have to listen. You don't have to listen. Even if Kalash Baruch tells you, I don't want your tshuva, don't listen. Kalash Baruch tells you, you'll never be accepted. Don't listen. Do what you have to do. That's the Marshal's approach. Rabbi Salavechik, in one of his tshuva drushes, said something absolutely amazing. He says, Elisha ben Abuya heard the baskol that said, Shubu banu shovimim, chutz me'acher, chutz me'acher. And Rabbi Salavechik said, Chas v'shalom, that Hashem said, chutz me'acher. Chas v'shalom, that God ever said such a thing like that. Kaddish Baruch Hu never said it. But it says, Chutz me'acher. Rabbi Salavechik's lashon is, Rechuko garamlo l'shmoa davarzeh. God never said it. Elisha ben Avuya heard it in his own head. Elisha ben Avuya heard it in his own head. See, I will say, in life, when you think that you're broken, when you think that you're broken, you assume everyone else thinks you're broken also. When you think that you're a nothing, you assume everyone else thinks that you're a nothing as well. I will say, do you know the irony? It's not irony. The tragedy of the Elisha ben Avuya story Every single day, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is calling out to Acher. What is he calling out to Acher? Shuvu banush banim shovelim. Every single day, the Rebbeinu Shalom is telling you, you Elisha ben Abuya, come back, come back, come back. I love you. I want you. I need you. And Elisha ben Abuya is so broken and so down on himself that after Hakadosh Baruch Hu says Shuvu banush shovelim, the voice inside Elisha ben Abuya's head says, "Chuzmi Acher." Oh no. He's not talking to you. He's not talking to you. Right? He's talking to everyone else. You, you, no, 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 You're Ruchuko Garam. You're, that's not you. That's not you. And I want to say how profound, right? When we think poorly of ourselves, it's very hard to kind of lift yourself up when you have no self-worth. Very hard to lift yourself up when you don't believe in yourself. Very hard to lift yourself up when you believe that you're just shivery keel and broken utensils. And this is the tragedy of Elisha ben Avuya's story. Whether it's like the Rabbi Salavechik, that Kashbarach who never said chutzni acher, but Rihuko garam, this is what he heard in his own head. Or like the Marsha, no, God did say it. God did say chutzni acher. But don't worry about what God says. Just worry about what you have to do. And what you have to do is tshuva. What you have to do is turn your life around. What you have to do is get your life back on the rails. Worry about that. Elisha ben Avuya's story could have had a different ending. I'll say that's the tragedy over here. The tragedy is not a man who went off the derach. Unfortunately, that happens all the time. The tragedy of Elisha ben Avuya is that he never got his life back on the rails when he could have done so. And what a Musafras I will say, because sometimes stuff happens to us, we make bad decisions, life gets off the rails. That's terrible. That's terrible. What's even more terrible is when you don't roll up your sleeves and try to right the ship. When you don't go ahead and roll up the sleeves and take the reins of your life and try to do things differently. That's the real tragedy of our narrative. And that's the Musra Haska from Elisha ben Avuya. Incredible. Says the Gemara, Shmuel found Rabbi Huda, and Rabbi Huda was sitting or standing by the doorway. So the Gemara said, the Kabachi, and he was crying, my Kabachis. So Shmuel says, Rabbi Huda, why are you crying? Sharp one, which was a compliment. Why are you crying? Amr 
where is the one who weighs? Shall you shokun kalin vechamurin? Used to make kal bechomers shabatora. Ayi sofer samigdolin. What does it mean? The counters of, of the of the towers. Shall you shonin gimol meos halochos b'migdal haporech ba'avir? So what's the migdal haporech ba'avir? Rashi points out is a is a is a is a section of the halochos of tuman tara. So there were talmidi chachamim who used to learn out three hundred halochos. In Tuman Tara Migdal Poreach, but Amr Rabbi, right? Amr Rabbi Ami, Tlas Mea Bayi Bo Doig Vachi Tofel Migdal Poreach Ba'avir. That ultimately again Doig and Achi Tofel. So I'll say, remember again, Doig was the Av Beisdin during the times of Shaul. Achi Tofel was one of the advisors of David Amalek who joined the rebellion of Av Shalom. So they were such big Tamidi Chachamim that they were taught, they they spoke out three hundred questions in this Sugi of Tuman Tara. Utnan, we learned, Gimel, Malachim, Ba'arba, Hedyotos, Enlem, Chedri, Olam, Habo. There are three kings and four regular people who have no portion in the world to come. And amongst two of the regular people was Doig HaEdomi and Achitofel. Anan, Matehevi, Avan. So, Bosir, Rabbi Huda is crying because Rabbi Huda says, when you look at a person like Doig and like Achitofel, you look at these people, they were great Tamidi Chachamim. And yet what? Their Torah did not save them. Their Torah did not save them from going off the derech. Their Torah did not save them from making poor decisions. Their Torah did not save them from a variety of things. What are we to do? Our Malay Shmuel responds, Shinina, say this is incredible, Tina Haisa Balibam. So I'll say the Gemara's Tina Haisa Balibam means, means that there was, Tina literally means dirt or schmutz. There was dirt or schmutz in their hearts. In other words, I'll say, this is an incredible yisod. What, Rabbi Huda, what, what Shmuel was saying to Rabbi Huda was, he was saying, when you see great people do bad things, and the truth is, it's not just great people. When you see good people, ordinary people, do bad things, that means there's something broken inside of them. See, Rabbi say, in our essence, we're good. All of us are good. We're all good. And when good people engage in bad behavior, that usually means something is broken inside of them. Also, just think about it in our own lives. When I commit Navera, when I commit Navera, so I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing it. So why am I doing it? Usually because there's something misfiring inside of me. I'm unhappy about something. I'm depressed about something. I'm upset about something. I feel down about something. I have some unresolved issue. Sin, sin often comes along kind of as like the, I think it's going to help. I think, or it's an escape. The, the idea is when good people do bad things, there's something broken inside of them. So Shmuel Sasebihuda, Doeg, Achi, Tofel, these were great people who did bad things, but that's because there was something fundamentally broken inside of them that they did something wrong. And in your mind, the same thing with Elisha ben Abuya. Shabbos say, watch this. So according to that logic, what was broken inside of Elisha ben Abuya that caused him to engage in such terrible behavior? Zemer Yevani la pasek nipumei. He was very into Greek music. Very into Greek music. So the Rashi says over here, Zemer Yevani la pasek nipumei, Rashi says, so Rashi says the issue over here was that he was too into music when he should have diminished his listening to music because of because of um, the Khurban, because of the Shakshabesamikdash. I think Pasha Pshat, you know what it's saying? He listened to non-Jewish music. He listened to Nabosi Yosei said, wow, like that's it, right? Like that's the totality of it. See, I will say, well, sometimes we forget to realize in life is everything we do has an impact on our Ruchnius. Everything we do. And the truth is, even non-Jewish music, which often has lyrics which are antithetical, antithetical to the hashkafas of our life, one has to be careful. Uh, I must say, is this the biggest problem in Kaladisal? Is this the biggest problem? It's, it's not a question of our problem. It's just a question of being aware that everything I do has an impact on my ruchnius. So ultimately, again, so says the Gemara, Elisha ben Abuya, you're listening to Greek music. Understand, you listen to Greek music for long enough, it takes its toll 
on your neshama. Now, again, it, 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 is, is, I, I want to be clear: is the Gemara saying that this is the, the, that this is the this is what's responsible for Elisha ben Avuya's spiritual demise? Probably not, but it could be one thing among many. Everything we listen to and everything we ingest and everything we participate in has a profound impact. And similarly, again, the Gemara the Gemara gives another example of it. The Gemara says that when Elisha ben Avuya would stand up in the base Medrash, what would happen? So books, books of Greek philosophy and apicursus would fall off his lap. In other words, apparently, Elisha ben Avuya had some other stuff sitting in his Gemara. Right? So, so he, was, he had the Gemara open. Right? He had, it brings back some childhood memories. Right? He goes right, he had the Gemara open. Right? And he had some other, other what he calls Sifre Minos, books, uh, books of Apikarsus inside of his Gemara. But let's say, the idea is that Elisha ben Avuya was exposing himself to influences that, that were not the right thing. That were not the right thing. The music has an impact. The literature we read has an impact. Everything we participate in has an impact on who and what we are. And Nabo said this is the most important thing because sometimes what we do is we, none of us are perfect and we all engage in different things. But as long as we're cognizant that when we put on a certain type of music and we read certain types of things, don't think it doesn't have an effect. That's all. In other words, I might do it anyway. I might do it anyway. But be very well aware that it has an impact on who and what you are. That's all. Sometimes in life I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it regardless. But at least be aware of the consequences or the potential consequences of what it is that I'm engaging in. So it's incredible, I will say. So I just want to point out, and I'm to move on. What Rabbi Huda is saying, what Shmuel is saying to Rabbi Huda is, how does the story of Elisha ben Abuya start? It doesn't start with the Pardes. You're about to say, we're introduced to Elisha ben Abuya in the Pardes. Shmuel says to Rabbi Huda, it actually starts much, much earlier. It starts with some Greek music and some Greek apicursus. That's how it started, which by itself is totally innocuous. Well, not totally innocuous, but generally innocuous. But do enough small things over a sustained amount of time, and you end up in life in a place that you don't want to be in. It's almost like there's like real apicursus and there's like gateway apicursus, right? So gateway apicursus, right, is, is sometimes these little things that chip away at a person's ruchnius until one day I'm someone that I don't even recognize. The Gemara goes right there. Sha'ol Nimo Sagardi is Rabbi Meir. So this guy, Nimo Sagardi. Nimo Sagardi, I will say, apparently, is, Gardi is a weaver. This is his name. Nimo Sagardi is Rabbi Meir. Ba, so the Gemara says, Call Omer, call Omer Denachas Liora Salik. Does every piece of wool that goes into the dyer's vat come out fully dyed? In other words, what he was asking, I will say, was, it does everyone who learns Torah, is everyone protected? Does Torah protect everyone? If the wool is clean, then the dye takes. If the wool is not clean, then the dye does not take. So I will say that's a good thing to know in terms of dyeing, dyeing wool, right? Apparently, right, the color only takes with clean wool. And of course, the metaphor for Torah is a profound idea also. So I will say, we've, we've spoken this many times, Torah only has its full impact on me if I'm a proper kli, from a proper utensil. If I am not a proper utensil, if the utensil is broken, the utensil is cracked, the Torah is still beautiful, but it doesn't have the full impact. It doesn't have the full impact on the kli. Incredible. Rabbi Akiva, Allah B'Shalom. So we'll say now back to the narrative here. Rabbi Akiva is the only one of the four who came out of the Pardes. And we'll say, again, there's so much to say about all these Gemaras, but so much of life is making myself into a kli, right? I want to make myself into a utensil. That, that, that's my goal. Everything I do is to make myself into a proper utensil. So when that Torah comes in, right, the dye takes. So that when the Torah comes in, it, 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 it stays. It doesn't just come in and go out. I have to make myself into a kli. That, that's what mitzvahs are all about. That's what chesed is all about. It's all about making myself into a utensil so that when the dye of Torah comes in, so my personalistic wool becomes fully dyed. Otherwise, otherwise, if the wool is dirty, if the kli is broken, the Torah comes in, which is beautiful, but then unfortunately it goes right out. So Rabbi Akiva came out of the Paradise B'Shalom. Even Rabbi Akiva was in Shemayim, the Malachim wanted to push him out. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu defended Rabbi Akiva, and he said to the Malachim, leave Rabbi Akiva alone. He is fit, he is righteous enough, literally, to utilize my holiness. So my darash. Now, obviously, what happened over here is Rabbi Akiva obviously was able to avoid looking at certain things, right? Was able to avoid certain things that Acher saw that drove him off the edge, Ben Zoma saw, right? Ben Azai saw. So how was Rabbi Akiva able to be careful? Am Rabbi Rechana, Am Rabbi Yochanan. The Asam Eribavos Kodesh. Osu Berevava Shalom. Rabbi Akiva understood that ultimately there are certain things in the celestial sphere that when you see them, they're just representative of certain things but are not supposed to, but are not necessarily to be understood by the human mind in a literal fashion. Well, so remember again, just to illustrate this, remember, according to the Gemara, what threw Elisha ben Avuya over the edge, what threw him over the edge, that he saw Metatron sitting down. So Rabbi Akiva understood there are certain things you're going to see in the celestial sphere that the human mind can't fully comprehend. And so and to, to, so to look at it almost like as something symbolic. So the Asam Rivos Kodesh, Osu Berevava. There are also, there are signs in the multitudes of God. Rabbi Avao Amar, Dagol Mervava, Dugmahu Berevava Shalom. When you look at what's happening in the celestial sphere, it's a dugma. It's an example, but not to be understood literally. Hashem Shemo, Adon Hu Rabbi Chia. Hashem. I will say this beautiful passage. Lo Hashem. God is not found in the wind. And after the wind came a great noise. Hashem. Hashem is not found in the great noise. Or an earthquake. And after the great noise of fire. Hashem. Hashem is not found in the fire. And after the fire. A soft voice. A soft sound. Hashem over. We will say the idea being that the Ribbono Shal Olam is found in the Kol Dumamadaka, in the most nuanced things in life. So Rabbi Akiva understood that when a human being ascends to the celestial sphere, which is what Rabbi Akiva and his three and his three Chaverim did, what you see is not really representative of what is, and what you see often defies comprehension. And so Rabbi again will say that's why Rabbi Akiva one day he gave them one instruction. Remember what was one instruction he gave them? When you see the walls of marble, don't what? Don't what? Don't say, mayim, mayim. What he was trying to highlight to them was, what you're going to see is going to overwhelm you and just understand that you don't understand. Right? Isn't that the key to life sometimes? Just understand that you don't understand. Right? And as long as you understand that, right? as long as you know that, you'll be fine. The problem that everyone else behind Rabbi, besides Rabbi Akiva is, they went in and they thought they understood. And what they thought they understood was fundamentally wrong. And each one reacted to it in different ways. So Acher goes off the derech. One dies. One goes crazy. Rabbi Akiva goes in with the mindset of, I don't understand what I don't understand. So then Lamaisi, he was okay. It's incredible. Turn Rabbanon. But it's such beautiful Gemaras. Shisha Dram Nero B'Shedim. There are six things that are said about Shedim. Shlosha Kim Malachi Asharis. Three things are like Malachi Asharis. Ushlosha Kim Adam. And in three ways, so Shedim are three ways like Malachim, three ways like people. Shosha Kim Malachi Asharis, three ways like angels. Yeshlem Kinafayim Kim Malachi Asharis. They have wings. And therefore, Vitasim Yisof Olam Yad Olam. Right? They could fly from one end of the world to the other. Kim Malachi Asharis. Vyodin Masha Asad Lios. They know the future, like Malachi Asharis. Really? Malachim know the future? Yodin Zalvaitcha, Elo, Shomen Meachori, Hapargov, Kim Malachi Asharis. You both say, the great part, apparently one of the perks of being a Malach, is you get to eavesdrop from what's going on behind the curtain, right? Behind the curtain is where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. So the Malachim have the ability to hear what's happening, Me'achori HaPargot. So ultimately, again, Shadim could also hear what's happening, Me'achori HaPargot. So they don't know the future, but they could hear what's happening. So we'll say those are the three ways that Shadim are like Malachim. They have wings. They have wings. Ultimately, again, they're able to, to fly from one end of the earth to the other, and they're able to hear what the future holds. In three ways, Shadim are like people. They eat and drink like people. They procreate like people. And they die like people. Very interesting. But let's say there are six things that are said about people. This is incredible. In three ways, we resemble angels, and in three ways, we resemble animals. Shlosha Das Kimalachi Asharis. I will say we have das, we have intellect like angels, 
Ma'alchen becomes a kufa kimalachi asharis. We walk with an erect posture. We walk standing up like malachi asharis. Um saprim balashna kodesh kimalachi asharis. And we can speak lashna kodesh like malachi asharis. Three ways. We are like an animal. Ochlin vishosiki behema. We eat and drink like animals. Paranbrada ki behema. We procreate like animals. Umotsien rei ki behema. And we relieve ourselves like animals. We say, what a profound gemara. Three ways that a human being goes and resembles a malach. Three ways that we resemble behemoths. And I say, what's the shayla? The shayla is, how do you choose to identify? How do you choose to identify, right? Do you align yourself with the malachim? Do you align yourself with the behemoths? And that is the fundamental question of our existence. The gemara goes right there. So the Mishnah said, anyone who looks at four things, right? The remember again the four things. What's above, what's below, what was before the world, what's after the world, after the world. But better had a person never been created. So I understand at the end of the day, by focusing what's above, what's below, what's in front, right? What's, what's after the world. But again, I will say, when you talk about what was before the world, my dahava hava, why would a person, right? In other words, who cares? What's, what's the big deal in contemplating what was before the world? So the Gemara says, listen to this. So Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Tarvayu, Mashal Melech Basra Vadam. This can be compared to an earthly king. Shamali Avada, Binuli Paltering Dolan Ala Ashba. Built for me a brand new palace on a garbage, on a garbage dump. So Halchu Baralo, they built it for him. Once the palace is built, the king no longer wants a reference to what? That the site of the palace was a former form of a gar- was a former site of a garbage dump. Right? So we'll say so it's interesting. who doesn't want us, doesn't want us referencing what was there, what was here before the beginning. I will say, now not that what not that there was a garbage dump before Akhlashrahu created the world, but the idea is referencing that there was a garbage dump prior to the palace serves no benefit. So too, again, spending time contemplating what was here before the world serves no benefit. And life is about occupying your time with things that have a benefit, utilizing your time for things that have purpose, but exercise, right? Even intellectual exercises that are futile, that's not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us spending our time on. And whoever is not careful with the covet of Hashem, it would have been better had he never come to the world. So it says the Gemara Maihi. Now what is that talking about? What does it mean someone who's not careful with the covet of Hashem? Rabbi Abba Amar, Zeha Mistakel Bekeshes. Both say it's incredible. What's an example of not being careful with the covet of Hashem? Someone who stares at a rainbow. Now, what's wrong with staring at a rainbow? We'll get to that in just a moment. Rabbi Yosef Amar Zeh Ovra Avera B'Seser. This refers to one who goes out and commits an Avera in private. See, I both say, when a person commits an Avera in public, they don't care about what anyone thinks. When a person goes ahead and commits an Avera in private, what they're fully focused on what is what other people think. They don't care about what a Kaddish Baruch Hu thinks. They maybe even think they're hiding from a Kaddish Baruch Hu as well. Mistako B'Keshes, what's wrong with staring? What's wrong with staring at a rainbow? The Pasuk says that the rainbow, the rainbow has within it like the image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a, a slight image, like a, a likeness of God. And therefore, when one stares into the rainbow, they're effectively staring into a likeness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's a sign of disrespect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbi Yosef, so we'll say, this is actually an incredible Gemara. Rabbi Yosef says, this refers to someone who sins privately, to which the Gemara, so we'll say, really an incredible Gemara. The Gemara says, when a person commits an Avera in private, it's as if he's pushing away the feet of the Shechina. Hashem said, the earth, the Shamayim is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. So we'll say, when a person goes ahead and does an Avera in private, it's almost like they're trying to say, like the Shechina won't see me. The Shechina won't see me. So they ignore the fact that the Shechina sees everything. So say there's two ways to look at doing an Avera in private. One is that a person is more concerned about what people think 
than what God thinks, but I recognize that God sees it. Or the other possibility that the Gemara is floating is that when I commit an Avera in private, there's a piece of me that thinks that I'm hiding this from Hashem as well. As if to say that Rebbe is only up there, he's not down here. He's not down here. So we'll say, watch this, Gemara. Ini, is that so, that it's bad to commit an Avera in private? So we had this Gemara before. Was a very profound Gemara. If a person is having a struggle with the Yitzhahara, and ultimately, again, they feel the Yitzhahara is going to win, and I'm going to sin, what should I do? Go somewhere where no one knows you. Wear black clothing. Wrap yourself in black garments. And do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you need to do. And do not desecrate the name of Hashem in public. I will say, what, what is the Gemara saying? If you can't fight your Yitzhara and you're going to sin, it's minimize the damage. And how do you minimize the damage? Go somewhere where no one knows you. Essentially, disguise yourself, right? Wrap yourself in black garments. Do what you have to do. I now, this is not a lachatchila. It's not, hey, like, you, know, you know, plan a weekend, plan a weekend away, right? Just go somewhere no one knows you. Right, go ahead, right? This is not like advice, do this. You're going to see more. This is like, let's say, there are times in life where I'm going to commit this Avera. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. As much as I'd like to say I'm not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So if you're going to do it, Chazal tell us, so, so minimize the collateral damage. Right? Damage control. Damage control. At least don't make a Chalal Hashem. At least do it in a place where no one knows you. So at least at the end of the day, you've done the Avera, but you've minimized the damage. So I will say, so again, so this Gemara seems to say that there are times when I sin in private. Which the Gemara says, Lo kashya, had the matzik kaif l'yitzrei, had the lo matzik kaif l'yitzrei. I will say, again, it's two cases. This, say, when the Gemara says over here, go somewhere where no one knows you, wrap yourself in black, we will say, that's the Gemara saying where I've lost the battle. Both say, it's actually, it's actually incredibly profound to think about this. There are times in life where I've lost the battle. Now, if I'm honest with myself, I've lost the battle because I told myself I've lost the battle, right? It's not that I really lost. I've said, I've lost this battle. I've lost this, okay? So if you've made up your mind that you've lost the battle and you're going to sin, then the Gemara says, then the Gemara says, okay, minimize the collateral damage. The first part of the Gemara will say that speaks out a person, the, the, the iniquity of a person who sins privately that's when a person still has control. So when you have control, if I have control and I realize, okay, I can rein this in, understand the damage of sinning privately is that it's almost as if I'm saying, Kashmarko doesn't see this. He doesn't really see this, right? This is okay. This is outside of his purview. So if you have control over Yitzhahara, understand that what you're about to do is an affront to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore resist the temptation. If I can't resist the temptation, I've already made up my mind I'm going to sin, then control, do damage control. Do damage control. It's incredible. But if you look at three things, your eyesight diminishes. Bekeshes, if you go ahead and you look at a rainbow, Benasi, you look at the leader of Kalal Yisrael, Ubekohanim, and you look at the Kohanim, as we said before, because the rainbow is like an image of Akadish Baruch Because the Nasi, the leader of the Jewish people, has the Shechina upon him as well. Well, essentially, anywhere where there's the Shechina, you should not look directly. And Kohanim, Bizman Shevei Samitash, Kayam Shayo Omdim Al Duchanan. The Gemara says, this refers ultimately again to when the Beis HaMikdash stood, the Kohanim were duchening, and when the Kohanim duchens, the Shechina descends upon their fingers. And I will say, I will point out over here, Tulsa says, this is even not when the base. this is even without the Beis HaMikdash, this is any time the Kohanim duchen, the Shechina rests upon their fingers. Which I will say is why today, why today, when the Kohanim duchen, we don't look. And I will say there are two reasons we don't look, Tosas points out. One is because looking could create a distraction, and a person gets distracted and doesn't pay attention to the bracha. But the other idea, says Tosas, is because the Gemara says the Shechina descends upon the fingers, right? The Shechina rests upon the fingers of the Kohanim, right? When they spread their fingers, and they're ultimately, again, 
one should not look upon the Shekhinah. So we'll say, this is why. Again, we put, we quote, right? Many of us as children went under our parents, Talisim, father's Talisim, right? So again, we have the custom, even if you don't normally wear your Talis over your head, you pull your Talis over your head by Birchaz Kohanim, right? That, that's the idea, not to look at the Kohanim during Duchanim, because the Shekhinah resides. Wherever there's Shekhinah, wherever there's Shekhinah, a person is not permitted to gaze directly. Darsha Yehuda Rabbi Nachmanim, what does it mean? What it means? Don't believe in evil. Don't believe in the prince. If the Yitzhar tells you, ah, just sin, don't worry, God is very forgiving. Right? If the Yitzhar tries to tell you that, don't believe him. So at the end of the day, by the way, this is a very profound idea. The Yitzhara tells you, just do what you want to do, because God will forgive you anyway. Don't believe that advice, because it's not true. Abosai, the Rambam says in Hilchos Tshuva, that a person who says, It's okay, I'll sin, I'll just do Tshuva afterwards. Such a tshuva is not accepted. If I sin, if I sin, because I sin, I do tshuva, but a person who sins, I know what I'm doing, and I rely on tshuva, that doesn't work. The tshuva doesn't work in such a situation like that. Maybe you'll say, ah, come on, who's going to know? Who's going to know? Right? Who's going to know what my machshavas are, what my thoughts are? Who's going to know? The Kabbis may say, I know you know what testifies? I already know what testifies against me after 120? My home, the walls of my home. Because I will say, very often in life, we do things within the walls of our home that we would never do in the general public. So I will say, after 120, the walls of my home come and they tell the story of my life. So I will say, outside of my home, I'm able to project a very nice image, right? The real me is the me that comes out when I go into my house, close the door. And after 120, the walls of my home, the walls of my home come and then give testimony before the Beis Din Shamal about the person I really was. Not about the image I put on, because we all have two images, right? The image, the public image, the private image. The walls of my home come to attest to my private image. Listen to this. You know what the Nisham is like? The Nisham is like the black box, like on the airplanes, right? You know, what, what happens? Chas v'shalom, you know, there's a crash or something. What do they do? They retrieve the black box. The black box tells you exactly what happened on the flight. So I'll say, all of us are a 120-year flight. And the Nisham is the black box. It records everything. It records everything. So after 120, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Nisham, okay, tell us what happened, right? Because I'll say, my mouth has, I've got a whole story prepared, right? I've got a whole narrative. I also have the whole list of excuses, the whole list of people who are really responsible for why I misbehave, right? Because it's not me. It's not me. It's, you know, it's this one and it's that one and it's that. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to say anything. Nisham, come here. Come here, right? Let's just play the black box. And let's just let the events of my life speak for themselves. I don't need any, I don't need any rashintosis. I will say, how, how overwhelming is this? How overwhelming is this? Because the truth is, we go through life with a myriad of excuses. I have excuses. I, I have excuses for everything. For everything. I will say, pretty much there's not one bad thing that I can't find for, right? That I, that I can't, I, I, I can give a spin. Right? Maybe, maybe I can't, I can't. Sometimes I'm good and I could turn my Averis into mitzvahs. I would say, maybe I can't do that for everything, but I certainly could come up with something for everything. And after I'm to my says, it's okay, I love you. It's okay, I don't need you to say anything. The Shama, play it, right? Just, just push play. Let, let, let's just see. Here's the black box. Let's just let the events of your life speak for themselves without any Rashi, without any Tosis, without any explanations. Let's just see how you lived. Let's just see how you lived. The events of our life and how we act and what we do has to be able to stand on its own without any further explanation. The Gemara goes right to come say, "Good." So the Gemara says, "Zoy davar sheshachas bechego shal adam." Heavy omer zon nishar. Rabzrika omer shnei malach yasharis hamalavan also. Hey meidinbo. The boss say, "Who testifies? Who testifies?" The boss say, "By the way, not against me. Just who gives edus about my life? 
my two accompanying angels. Each of us are accompanied by two malachim. Hey, Meidinbo. Rabbi said, these are the malachim ultimately that give testimony about me. Shneemar, ki malachal yitzavalach l'shmarcha b'chol durachacha. V'acham nechum sarbo say, so again, isn't this incredible? I'm accompanied by two malachim each and every day. Each and every day there are two malachim. They see everything. They witness everything. Shmarcha says, no malachim. Tell me. Tell me how did Silver live his life, right? So how was it? How was it? 120 years. What did he do? What did he do? What didn't he do? Just tell me. Just give, just give me information. Not opinion, not editorial. Just give me information. Others say it's the limbs of a person. A person's body that gives aidos about how they live. They will say, here's one incredible thing. Once they come in there amongst all these things, who doesn't give aidos about how I lived? Who doesn't give it? Me. <laughs> say, isn't this the most incredible thing? Right? The one person who does not give testimony about how I lived is me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not ask me. Tell me. Tell me. Neshamala. Tell me. How did you live? Shefala. Tell me about your life. There's no exit interview. Right? When I leave this world, there's no exit interview. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, tell me. How did it go? How did it go? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not interested in my editorial. What he's just interested is in Fact. She just gets facts. Who does he get the facts from? The walls of my home. Who does he get the facts from? My neshama. Who does he get the facts from? My limbs. Who does he get the facts from? The malachim. He doesn't ask me because he knows. Because he knows me well. And he knows that if he asks me, I'm going to give him a whole different story. Right? It's going to be great. It's, it's a good story, by the way. It's a really good story. Because says, okay, I love you. I accept you for who you are. But I don't need your spin. I just want the facts. Let's just, just look at the facts about how you live. We'll say... You have to live a life where the facts could stand on their own and don't need any editorial comments. Halavai we should be zochet to live lives like that. But say Mishnah, Mishnah. Yosi ben Yosef Omer. We'll say back to back to Chagiga. Yosi ben Yosef says. We'll say it's a great Mishnah. Lismoch. We'll say this Mishnah now speaks about the machlokis of smicha on yamtiv. Right. It's hard to come down from Maisim Merkava to Smicha on Yamtiv. But again, so what, what's the Shaila? Do you lean with Smicha the din that I lean on an animal before I offer it up? So do you do Smicha on Yamtiv as do you do Smicha? So watch this. Yosef ben Yosef Omer Shlom Lismoch. Yosef ben Yosef says, don't do Smicha. Yosef ben Yochanan Omer Lismoch. Yosef ben Prachi Omer Shlom Lismoch. Nita Ha'arbeli Omer Lismoch. Yehuda ben Tabai Omer Shalom Lismoch. Shemen Shedach Omer Lismoch. Shmaya Omer Lismoch. Avtalim Omer Shalom Lismoch. Hillelu Menachem lo Nechleku. Hillelu Menachem didn't argue about this. We don't know who Menachem is. Yotze Menachem Nichna Shamai. Menachem left. Shamai came in. Shamai Omer Shalom Lismoch. Hillel Omer Lismoch. So both say, by the way, what a great Mishnah. Right? What a great Mishnah. Both say, it's just every single person's opinion. I will say, now why the way? What a strange Mishnah. I want to so- show you something amazing. Before you turn the page, go back to Rashi. Rashi, Rashi, six lines up from the bottom in Rashi, five lines up, six lines up. Yosi ben Yezra, Mishnah, Lismoch, Biyamtiv, Bizohi, Machlokes, Rishona, Shahaisa, Bechach, Me Yisrael. I will say, this is wild to wrap our head around. And we're going to talk about this more. The first Machlokes. That was like a broad range machlokes, a multi generational machlokes. The first machlokes between Chachme Yisrael was Smicha Nyamtiv. That was the first machlokes. The first machlokes of Chal Yisrael, of the Chachamim, of the Chachamim. So we're going to see what that means. Of the Chachamim was Smicha on Yamtiv. Smicha Nyamtiv. So turn the page. And we'll say, now remember again, in this discussion, the discussion is framed, the machlokes is framed in pairs. So the Mishnah says, the first person mentioned in each pair is the Nasi, and the second one is the Abbas. So remember again, so remember Kalal Yisrael, this is the time when we didn't have a king. When we didn't have a king, there was like a two-headed leadership model. There was what's called the Nasi. The Nasi was kind of like the closest thing we had to a melech, to a king, right? And then there was the Avbezin. The Avbezin was in charge of the Sanhedrin. So they're often looked at as partners, but in reality, the Nasi was really the more important position with the Avbezin directly below him. It says, There are three of the pairs. We have the earlier pairs who said, Don't do smicha and yamtiv. Two of the pairs who said, Don't, who, do, who said, Do smicha and yamtiv. Hayu nisim, ushnaim avos. They were the Nesim, and then ultimately the second names were the Avos Bezdin. The Rabbi Meir, Meir, that's Rabbi Meir. Vecham Nechum say, I'm sorry, Vecham Nechum say, Yehuda ben Tabai Av Bezdin, 
Shimon ben Shetach Nasi. They say no in that order, in that order, that grouping, ultimately Yehuda ben Tabai was the Abbezin and Shimon ben Shetach was the Nasi. Now, both say, just remember that. So, the point over here is there's a machlokas in Yehuda ben Tabai and Shimon ben Shetach. Was Yehuda ben Tabai the Nasi and Shimon ben Shetach the Abbezin? Or was Yehuda ben Tabai the Abbezin and Shimon ben Shetach the Nasi? Why does this matter? Look at the following story. Here's a story. Amr Rabbi Yehuda ben Tabai. Rabbi Yehuda ben Tabai said as follows. Erab ben Achama. What's the Erab ben Achama means? Should I should seek consolation? So I'll say, what that, what that's an expression of almost like a shul, like an oath. So Yehuda ben Tabai says, I swear, I swear, I won't see any consolation if I did not kill a singular Eid Zomim. Remember again, Eidim Zomimim are witnesses who come Witnesses will come and falsely accuse someone else of something. So let's say, right? So two witnesses come and they say, We saw Reuven kill Shimon. We saw Reuven kill Shimon. It turns out that another set of witnesses then come along and say, What? To so the first set of witnesses, you could not have possibly have seen Reuven kill Shimon because, you were with us at the time that the alleged event occurred. So that first set of witnesses become Adim Zomin. What happens to Adim Zomin? What's their, what's their punishment? There's a reciprocal punishment. You do to the Edim Zomimin that which they sought to, oppose, to impose upon the defendant. Reciprocal punishment. So Yehuda ben Tabai says something amazing. He says, I, I ordered that a singular Eid Zomim be executed. That even though one of the Edim, only one of the Edim became an Eid Zomim, I ordered that he be executed. So we'll say ultimately because the Tztukim used to say that Edim Zomen are not killed unless they were successful in having the defendant executed. So Yehuda ben Tabai says, I wanted to show the Tztukim that they were wrong. And therefore again, in the case of Edim Zomen, I had an Eid Zomen killed even though he was unsuccessful in his bid to have the defendant executed. So Amr lo Shem Shetach. So Shem Shetach says to you, Ben Tabai, Ela ben Chama im lo Shapachta dam Naki. You killed an innocent man. You're not allowed to kill one eight zomim. The Gemara says because we learned. I'm sorry. I'm Chachamim ain eight zomim naragin. Ad sheazamu shneihem ve'ain lokin. Ad sheazamu shneihem ve'im shaman amimeno. Ad sheazamu shneihem. So I'll say, listen to this. So Shimon ben Shetach says to you, Ben Tabai. You the Ben Tabai, you killed an quote unquote innocent person. Because Dalakhaba Edim Zomimin is what? Dalakhaba Edim Zomimin is you could only visit punishment upon Edim Zomimin if both witnesses are found to be Edim Zomimin. If ultimately only one of them is an Eid Zomim, you cannot execute or punish based on one. So, so, you, so Shimon Ben Shetach says to you the Ben Tabai, you are responsible for executing a quote unquote innocent person. So the Gemara says, what happened? Yehuda ben Tabai from that moment took upon himself that he would never again pass in halacha, not in the presence of Shimon ben Shetach. In other words, he, he took upon himself that he would not pass in halacha unless, of course, Shimon ben Shetach was there to make sure that his ruling was correct. The Gemara tells the story, Every single day for the rest of his life, Shimon ben Shetach, used to go to the grave of that witness who he was responsible for executing, and he would daven by a kol nishma, and he would cry over that grave for having wrongly executed this man. People used to think, I will say, that it was the voice of the witness who was wrongly executed who was crying out. They did not realize that it was Yehuda ben Tabai. They thought it was this person crying out from beyond the grave. Amr lahem kolihu. Yehuda ben Tabai says, no, it's me. And I'll tell you how you know. Teidu. Shalamachu meis. Tomorrow I'm going to die. Ve'en kol anishma. And ultimately the voice will no longer be heard. Amr lei. Ravacha breidu ravala ravashi. Ve'edilma payusei paisei. Obedina tavei. Maybe the reason why ultimately, again, maybe the voice was the voice of the dead. But the reason why it stopped when, 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 when Yehuda ben Tabai died was why? Was because ultimately, again, the dead person, the dead aid was, was, was calmed. Or perhaps because he brought Yehuda ben Tabai to Din. So I will say, now listen to this. Now remember again, in, in, listen to how the story lines up. Money. So I will say, if you go with the approach that Shimon ben Shetach was the Abbezdin and Rabbi Yehuda ben Tabai was the Nasi, 
That's how Rabbi Huda ben Tabai would have the right to paskin halacha in front of Shem and Shetach to begin with, right? Because again, he has the higher position. El i amrit rabbanon, even amrit rabbanon, the amrit Yehuda ben Tabai abeis in Shem and Shetach nasio. So, but if you go with the approach of the rabbanon who says that Yehuda ben Tabai was the abeis in and Shem and Shetach was the nasi, so how would Yehuda ben Tabai have the right to paskin halacha in front of Shimon ben Shetach to begin with? Abeis in. If Nasi mi mora halacha is the abeizdin permitted to go ahead and pass in halacha in front of the in front of the nasi to which the gemara says no 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 my kibelav what does it mean kibelav they come out it's tarufe dafilu it's tarufe lo mitzarefa I will say what it meant was that ultimately again Shimon ben Shetach sorry Yehuda ben Tabai Yehuda ben Tabai was saying that halacha la I won't even go ahead and be part of a beizdin. If Shimon ben Shetach is not part of that base, so fine. I will say the point over here is that Allah Lamaisa, there is a machlokes as to the roles of Shimon ben Shetach, Yehuda ben Tabai. Right? Which one was the Avbezdin? Which one was the Nasi? The point the Gemara makes is that the story aligns with either version of who had which position. I will say a lot to do. We'll have to stop over here. Mirat Hashem. More to do. Mirat Hashem tomorrow. Shkoyach. All right, everyone, everyone, good Shabbos. Start the last one, good Shabbos.